0: It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your host, Wyatt Krieger and Andy Losey.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 26 of the 3304 Sports Podcast. My name is Wyatt Krieger, and I will be your host for today, joined by my co-host, as always, Andy Losey. Andy, excited to have you on and talk some sports, as always, on the 3304 Sports Podcast.
0: Yeah, exciting week, Wyatt. Well, you know, we had a lot of happening in the NFL Championship Sunday. It was an exciting one. You mm-hmm. saw two elite quarterbacks going to return to the Super Bowl. First time we're going to see them really battle off talking about that is once a day in Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, after having a, a tough week and losing a teammate, they bounced back on the road with a 62-51 to 51 victory. So going to be a great show today, Wally. I... You're right. So we're going to get into the NFL championship
1: weekend. A few, we're a few days removed from NFL championship Sunday, but we also have uh, early Super Bowl predictions to get into between the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. And like you said, we're going to get into Virginia Tech's bounce-back win against Notre Dame after they lost to Syracuse over the weekend. And we're going to preview Virginia Tech's biggest basketball game of the season, arguably, against UVA this Saturday. So let's start with NFL championship weekend, Andy. Chiefs-Bills first. Um, Not much to say about this game, just because, you know, I thought the Bills were going to win going in foolishly. I thought that. I just thought they hadn't played their, their best game of the playoffs yet, and they were playing so well going in that just... That's just what i thought i I thought it was gonna be a close high scoring game but you know i think we all came to a came to a realization that when you have the best quarterback in the nfl you're the best tight end you're the fastest receiver also i say tight end for travis kelsey but at this point he is he's just he's one of the best receivers in the league that's just that's just what he is that's just his position title you're the fastest receiver one of the best in tyreek hill you've arguably the best coaching staff in the NFL. It's
0: just, you're going to be impossible to beat. Exactly. And I, I, you know, Mahomes coming into this game with uh, a couple questions based off what happened in uh, the AFC divisional round with the concussion and his neck. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of speculation, whether he was, a lot speculation. Or not. yeah. And that led me to believe maybe Mahomes isn't going to be hundred percent. And maybe he wasn't, maybe he wasn't hundred percent. Maybe he was 75%. Mm-hmm. But look how good he is at 75%. And yeah. the Chiefs really took that game by a storm in the second quarter. They, they made sure they went into the locker room with a really big lead. They did their job in exposing a really well-rounded Buffalo Bills defense. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the week before, you know, the Bills, they didn't play their best game defensively. They played one of their best games of the year, holding Lamar Jackson and Ravens offense to three points. But in this game right here, you're right. Kelsey was an absolute impact player for the Chiefs in that game. Talk about 13 catches for 118 yards and two touchdowns. And you mentioned Tyree killed nine receptions, 172 yards. Had that really big catch and run, I believe, in that third quarter. So, you're right. It's a perfect system that's built around one of the best up-and-coming quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the NFL. But Wyatt, I don't think it's the last time we're going to see these two quarterbacks go at it in the AFC Championship game. I really like what Josh Allen did this season. He made a case for himself to say, I am the franchise guy now. We all knew Mahomes was the franchise guy, but he put on a great show this week. And so I, I think I thought to myself, maybe the Bills will come in in this one as well. Like you mentioned, how mm-hmm. you thought they're going to do it, just because I said they have the explosive offense to match the Chiefs, they have the defense to match with the Chiefs, but then you know Kansas City home and Arrowhead, you know it just it was just, a perfect perfect harmony for them, and that's why they're going to go into the Super Bowl. You're right, you know, and they were just they were just too much. And I thought I thought I really was impressed
1: with the Chiefs' defense, just because going into the game, it's like the Chiefs defense has been a liability for them throughout the the last three years. And Mm -hmm. they really just shut down, shut down, shut down Josh Allen. And when you have the stars, like you, when you have Chris Owens on the defensive front you have Tyrant Tyron Matthew in the back, the honey badger, and you have just a really well-coached cohesive unit that's played together for a while. I think you're you're seeing this defense grow and evolve, but I don't, you know, you would talk about the Chiefs offense. It's just, how open those guys are getting. And it's like, you really, you need that third option. When, when, when Hardman, the third option between Tyreek Kill and Travis Kelsey, and then the third option, if he's making plays and, he, and making an impact, it's really just impossible to stop them, to stop on the offense because it's just, there's so much speed. There's so many options. And with all the misdirections and the great play designs from Andy Reid, it's just, I don't know what you can do on defense. I don't know. It's just so, it's almost frustrating to watch it, just because it's like, there's just nothing you can do. And like you said, Patrick Mahomes, we were, we were speculating the injury, but Patrick Mahomes at 75% health is still the best quarterback in the NFL.
0: Right? It, it's, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the point. Exactly. We made us there. And I like, to bring the point about me Cole because early in that game, he had a disastrous play on a punt return, which, which looked like one of the worst pump returns. Yeah. On the season, the catches of the. This- season it was just like he almost like let it go behind him and went back five or six yards and that gave the Bills an opportunity to ex- extend their lead in that first quarter they capitalized on it but man you talk to yourself what's Hardman going to do for the rest of the game and I was watching that game and immediately after that miscue by Hardman they started targeting him more they got him yep. more involved they got him comfortable back into the play style and I kind of like that because it gave him the opportunity to forget his mistake and go forward in the game. So that's the, just the brilliant mind of Andy Reid, and yeah. you know it's a reason why him and his Chiefs team are going back to back Super Bowls. Yeah, we really have to be we really have
1: to be ready to watch the Chiefs in the Super Bowl for the next five ten years because that's just that's just what would happen. And I expect I also expect a lot of Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes AFC Championship games um, in the future. I have a question for you. Do you so you're talking about how they were targeting Nicole Hardman? And they ran that end around play on I th- I don't know if it I'm not I'm pretty sure it was the next drive. He might be faster than Tyreek Hill, honestly. You think so? Wow. I don't I, wow. I don't I don't really think so, but <laughs> I don't know because it's, it's just that end around play, I've never seen move any, anyone move that fast. And Tyreek Hill had that seventy one yard catch and run where he was just faster than everyone. But it's like geez, you have these two guys that are just track runners.
0: I feel like the Chiefs you know, Madden with four verticals that play. I think the Chiefs are the best well-rounded for the team. <laughs> I mean, eventually, like, Miko Harmon might be the second fastest in the NFL. I mean, you have yeah. Kringle returning some punts as well. He's the fourth wide, third or fourth wide receiver on the team. And you're not even seeing, like, Sammy Watkins, who's still, you know, like, at a young age who hasn't played a couple games this season. But uh-huh. he's still fast as well. It's just, like, the Chiefs receivers – can just beat you downfield solely with their feet. And Patrick Holmes is like playing put this in the perfect spot, which he does most of the time as well. So you're right that the speed on that chiefs offense is mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to replicate in any other team in, in
1: the NFL. All right. So I want to get into Buccaneers Packers um, before we start predicting the Super Bowl. this game. It was really exciting. I thought this was a game that the Packers should have won, but at the end of the day, you're going up against Tom Brady in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, he has three interceptions in the second half, and you only score six points, I think, off those three turnovers. And that just can't happen. And I don't know what it is about Tom Brady playoff games, but it seems that he just gets the other team to do weird things, whether it's going going down 28-3 to against the Falcons and all the weird things that happen in that game, or... All, all, of the mistakes that the that the Buccaneers made, and not, and for one, Matt Lafleur, the coach decision not to go for it, we'll get into that. But just, I mean, I just don't understand. I just don't understand how he has this this luck always on his side, and that's what really was my takeaway. Is just that Tom Brady is the just the, the best quarterback of all time. Even though he didn't really outplay Aaron Rodgers in that game, he's just he's just a winner. I don't know what else to say. He just knows how to win.
0: Yeah, he's a great game manager, and you mentioned mm-hmm. the point right there. He, Brady did have his struggles in the second half. I mean, he did have three interceptions in this game. Three. Yeah, and but the people look at it and say, "Oh, but it's Tech conference championship of the uh, of his career, it's NFL history, uh, NFL history record, which is great for Tom Brady. I mean, the guy is a legend, and for Aaron Rodgers, that's a guy that sits." right behind Brady, if not maybe a couple seats behind Brady on whether the greatest quarterbacks of all time, you know, you look at the collective bunch of what we have in the NFL at this time. But I did see a lot of that as well. You know, Tampa Bay was not great in that second half. They had 14 points in the second quarter alone, and that was due to a Kevin King burn from Scotty Miller, which was oh. the changing point in this game. But then Tampa Bay, they just couldn't get the ball going into the end zone in that second half. But Green Bay couldn't either. So the first, you know, first half of the game was, yeah, this is Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. We're seeing a good amount of offense right here. Going to the second half, it, it gets kind of quiet from the quarterbacks. And then it comes into what are you able to do within the situations to help your team the victory? And, of course, it was a very questionable call in the fourth quarter, you know, that final drive for Tampa Bay. Oh, I didn't like that call at all. You, you didn't? Yeah. No. Mick, was Mickens was the targeted receiver, I yep. believe. And it was a holding from the Packers, which, you know, I, I listened to the commentary crew a bit right there. And I, you know, I was with some friends. We talked about it at that moment. Does grab the jersey. But, why? Well, I think you can agree with me and say the game was very, like, let them play on throughout the entire game. And then on third and short, in a must-stop for Green Bay you know the referee throws the flag, and also, I think if they throw the flag on time, it makes it a little bit better. But that yeah. flag came really so late; late. it was almost so like <laughs> what the back, back judge doing. And it just was a call that came like out of knowing like oh, that's that's a game. And I bet you have your opinion on it. I think watching it, it it's like it gives like the tug. So by definition, yes. But by definition, there's so much else that's like been allowed the entire game. So yeah. yeah, that's a that's one of those calls that you say to yourself, what if? Yeah, what if that flags he's in the pocket and Green Bay gets another chance? You're right. And that was my main issue is just how the
1: game was called throughout. And you saw on, on Aaron Rodgers' only interception of the game, um, Lazard was grabbed, his jersey was grabbed and they didn't call anything. And there were a lot of plays like that, toss-ups really close where they were just like, let him play. And it's almost as if you know, you say you say how late that flag in, came in. It's almost as if the Buccaneers sideline was just screaming at that ref, and he just got he just got scared and threw it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like he he slightly grabbed his jersey, but you could tell. Mickens he he flopped. He like dove a little. He exaggerated it. The, the The throw was arguably out of reach. I just I really didn't like that call, and I don't. I just hate refs at the end of games trying to trying to decide the outcome. You know, I just don't. I just don't like that. Doesn't say Probably. well with me.
0: Yeah, I understand what you mean right there. It's really tough when a game comes down to a call like that. I feel like that, you know, Brady and the Buccaneers knew exactly what they wanted to do. And I think that's the reason why. I don't think Tom Brady would have, you know, thrown the ball to Jaden Mickens in that play if he didn't notice he was being held by the Packers defender. So that's just also Tom Brady using his head and saying, if I get it to this guy right here, uh, you know, it makes the call look a little bit more manageable because I was trying to get the ball to him. So. Yeah. That's a tough way to look at it. I always feel like, you know, the NFC they've had their problems with the officiating and games lately, and you know, Saints and Rams and stuff like that. It's, you know
1: what? I never really put that together, but why is it that it's like it's always the NFC? You never really have these roughing issues in the AF in these AFC games.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, the games are so uh But they're the same rough Kansas City. Kansas City does a good job where they lead by three touchdowns and they're yeah. like, Oh, we don't need we don't need the one or two calls to go our way in this one. And yeah, but it's it's gonna be great. I just you know, I mentioned um before the postseason started, I said How great would it be for Tom Brady to win another Super Bowl? But this one being taking on Drew Brees, beat him, Mm -hmm. taking on Aaron Rodgers, taking him down, and then now Patrick Mahomes, the person that he's being compared to so much lately because of how special Patrick Mahomes truly is. I would mention Taylor Heineke on that one as well. As a, <laughs> but I don't think he falls in the same category as those three other guys. But, you know, this is going to be a great game. It's going to be something that is really fun. Brady versus Mahomes. We finally get to see it. Last time we faced off in the postseason was the 2019 AFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. That went to overtime. And, you know, Gronkowski made that clutch catch that was two years ago. And then ever since Brady um ever since that game, Mahomes has just ran through football. So now he's going stop to be it. up again. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have a really underrated defense and that linebacker core of Tampa Bay is going to be fun to watch. I don't know how the secondaries to be able to stop them though, because the Buccaneers have had trouble through the air, depending through the air they've mm-hmm. done a marvelous job on the ground, which has been a great job so far by Todd Bowles. But the question is, I'm going to be in that matchup. He's going to be seeing how that Kansas city offense, passing offense can go against a uh, secondary.
1: You're right. And it's such an intriguing matchup just because you have this unstoppable force in the chief's offense and this emerging dynasty. And then you have Tom Brady who's just the best winner in the history of the sport. So it's like, I don't know how you could go into this game and definitively say, obviously uh, a lot of people or most people, would predict the chiefs are going to win just, just based on the rosters. But I don't know. You just have, when, when you have Tom Brady game playing against you, any literally anything can happen, but you talk about that chiefs defense matchup. I'm going to look at Devin white, the linebacker. I mean, he's a, he's a really fast guy. They need that speed uh, to cover both sidelines and
0: they're really going to need him against uh, Travis Kelsey. No, know exactly. There, there's talked about how if Tampa Bay wins this game. And it comes down to defense that Devin White has a serious case of winning Super Bowl MVP. I mean, we haven't really, I believe Michael Smith was the last guy for Seattle. I believe this mm-hmm. even won a Super Bowl MVP a few years ago. And what was it now? Super Bowl, geez, 45, 46. It was back in 2013. So it was a few years ago. But um, yeah, he's, um, yeah, Devin White is a difference maker on the defensive side of the ball. And it's only mm-hmm. his second season. I believe. So he's done a great job so far. He's been a true centerpiece on a team that has ex- veterans like JVP and Sue. These uh, he's still making headlines and making the name of himself and the Buccaneers defense. And the Buccaneers defense, that's one thing I've noticed. I've,
1: it's maybe it's recently or just the playoff intensity, but they really, they've been hitting hard mm-hmm. and that, and that, and I mean, that, that, that is something at least in the playoffs. And yeah, that secondary I think is going to be a huge huge liability. They're just not going to be able to keep up, but I mean, they've shown they can make plays and I mean, Todd Bowles, I think he's a great defensive coach uh, for the Buccaneers. So I'm really excited for this matchup. Let's get into some predictions for it. An easy early prediction here would be to go with the chiefs, but I think it's going to be a really high scoring, really competitive game. I'm going to go 48,
0: 45 chiefs, chiefs win. Oh my goodness. That is, that is high. That, I really that, think there's going to be a lot of points. That's a matchup we all want to see right there. 48-45, exactly. back and forth, everyone getting involved. Uh, <laughs> so really, that would be arguably one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. So, you know, if <laughs> um, I think you're going to go with the over on that one there. why? Um, <laughs> me, I can see this game. Uh, so, like, the last time we saw Brady in the Super Bowl was 13-3. to The last time we saw Mahomes, it was a second-half comeback, 31-20. to and I think Super Bowl, you know, you have all those jitters and you have everyone um, kind of getting readjusted. The Chiefs have been there. What surprised me about Tampa Bay is, is how everyone really, who's a really big factor on their team, is going to be playing like, their first Super Bowl yeah. ever. Look at the whole receiving core. Even Antonio Brown will be yeah. playing his first ever Super Bowl. So that kind of worries me about the Buccaneers a bit just because of the stage. But. They're playing home at Raymond Jane Stadium. First ever time in NFL history where you have a team playing at home. And you know what, Wyatt? Since you took the Chiefs, I'm going to take the Buccaneers. I think it's hard to take down Tom Brady in the postseason. We've seen countless teams that have gone into the matchup looking like the bigger and better team, but you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Tampa Bay 31, Kansas City 28. I think it comes down to you know yes. that last drive in the game and maybe Ryan Suckup gets involved there to really be the tie, break the tie. And we're thinking of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it, I think that it comes down to, I like how we both have a really close game because not only do we want that, but I truly believe that we are going to get that. And I think yeah. we're going to get a good offensive game. I think that some defenses will make some big plays. I think Kansas city defense might start off with some bigger plays, but then Tom Brady will, you know, be able to dissect the Kansas city defense as the game goes on and get it to his um, receivers, and, of course, Rob Gronkowski, who's one of the best tight ends in playoff history. We didn't even really talk about that matchup in tight ends. Rob Gronkowski against uh, Travis Kelsey, those are probably the two greatest tight ends of all time. So, I mean, if you want to witness history, like looking back in the Super Bowl like 15 or 20 years in the future, you might say that this probably was the best matchup in Super Bowl history, I, I'm just gonna go out there and say that because both both teams are loaded on offense, both teams have some great defensive players. It's fun. America won this. America got it, and we're ready for it on mm-hmm. Sunday.
1: You're right. And just the offensive weapons. I really, I really think this game is going to come down to whatever quarterback has the ball last. Like I trust you got you, you can't you can't do anything but trust both these quarterbacks to with the ball at the end of the game to make a drive down the field. So Let's move on. We've got our Super Bowl predictions in. I've got Chiefs. Andy's got Buccaneers, um, both by close margins. But we're going to get into some Virginia Tech basketball. Huge weekend, or huge week, I was I should say, of college hoops. Um, so last night, we're recording this on Thursday morning, but last night, Virginia Tech um, with a controlling win against Notre Dame. I thought it was great to see uh, Mike Young's squad respond to some adversity. You know, on Monday, they got the news that Tyrese Radford was indefinitely suspended from the team. Um, arguably, their best player um, so is he. He's either leading scorer, or second leading scorer, second leading rebounder. Um, I mean, just a guy who impacts the game at all on all facets. So, you really need to see uh, the Hokies step up and and play cohesive. And what really impressed me was their defensive effort because. That's just what they're going to need to do without without the the firepower on offense with with Radford in the game. They really just need to buckle down on the defensive end, and they really they in the first half they held um, they held Notre Dame to I think 30 percent shooting from the field, and I don't know you just twenty two points total for Notre Dame in that in that first half. I mean, really just suffocating defense, and I love those big guys. Our are our defensive uh, front court in Aluma and Mutz. they were just really aggressive all around.
0: Yeah, double-double for both of them in this game. Both of them. That's a great point you bring about the scoring because I remember looking, in the, looking into the season before it ever got underway, and I said the loss of Landers' knowledge is going to be kind of big for Virginia Tech because even though he was an inconsistent scorer, he was a scorer. And I thought yeah. that this Virginia Tech team was going to struggle at times really trying to find someone who can score in this matchup and get create them. their own shot, you know? Exactly. And then we started, started seeing that from Tyrese Radford. Yeah. And I was saying, you know, this guy who's been doing a great job recently, you go into the last few games, he's the, on um, he, he has he's you see his little picture because he's <laughs> leading the team in points. And that's just something that was good about Virginia tech. They found their score and then, you know, get the news. I believe Monday morning that he's been suspending indefinitely. definitely. And you say to yourself, Oh no, what's going to happen to Virginia tech. They probably just lost the one guy. That can really separate himself between his defender on this team. And then, you know, just. He's the glue guy. You know? Yeah, he's the glue guy. It was such disheartening news to hear that because I really thought that Radford was really getting something going. And he was doing it before conference play. And you always have that question because when you go from playing Longwood to. Miami in 10 days, you think to yourself, can the transition happen? And he was doing it. He was averaging double figures on the season, around 11 points a game. He was also collecting six rebounds a game. So we'll see how that really goes for his career. Mm-hmm. But back to the game, I would mention for Nahima Lee, did a great job. And Justin Mutz, both shot 50% from the field. You didn't really see a lot of three-point shooting from a lean in this one, as you did see against Syracuse, where he was getting, going early behind the arc. But he went a little bit more inside and tried to find some better shots, and I thought that was a great job by him. You mentioned our front court with uh, Mutz and Luma, 14 points each, both in double-doubles. Double so that's doing a great job and really collecting the boards and giving the team's um giving themselves more opportunities to get more buckets and i can't for, can't forget about Hunter Kator, you know. 4-7 yeah. from behind the arc. He had 12 points in that first half. Really did a good job of getting that game going for Virginia Tech and they were able to build that comfortable lead. So, a lot of questions around how they were going to do without Tyrese Radford. They got the win. They got a win against a team that i think without Radford playing, they should have beaten and they did. You know, they were struggling against Syracuse on the road. You know, awful loss at the Carrier Dome. But they respond at Notre Dame and get a win. And it sets up what is the biggest matchup of their season. You know, the thing you circle in the calendar. You know, you you took down Villanova back in November. But this matchup against UVA on Saturday. And that's the one that this team is getting really excited about. Yeah, you're right. And I just want to talk about, because you talked about Mutz.
1: He was he really just showed energy and just aggressiveness that the Hokies really need from him. I thought in the first half he had some really easy looks that he wasn't able to finish off. And he started doing that in the second half. And I think when him and Aluma have that, have that big man game working at the same time, because they really played through them in the second half. And I just, I just love when Aluma's getting post touches and not staying outside in the perimeter and Mutz is getting post touches and they're passing the ball, doing inside out. And here's one thing I think, offensively the Hokies can gain from the loss of Tyrese Radford is, you know, he's not much of a, he is, he is obviously their leading scorer, but he's, and he's not much of a three point shooter. So hopefully, you know, they can get Cone, Couture, Aline, all shooting the three well at the same time, because it seems like now, Mike Young actually said this last night in his pressure. It seems like now, you know, you have one guy doing really well one game and they're all, they're all kind of just, not having the same or good games at the same time. And, and they're waiting for them to all have a perfect game, but you're right. So let's get into that game against number eight UVA. UVA is playing fantastic basketball right now. They're, they're, they're just, they're suffocating defensively. Um, but Virginia tech is too. And they, they suffocated Notre Dame defensively. So I really do think um, this is just going to be a defensive battle and a great, a great college basketball game, just because, of what's on the line for ACC seeding, two top 3 ACC seeds and yeah, Andy, I don't I don't know who who is Virginia Tech that really going to need to stop.
0: I think Virginia Tech is going to have to do a great job defensively guarding against Virginia. And I think this offense that Virginia has brought this season is one of the best I've seen in quite some time. They've they struggled getting going on the season. Just like many teams have, you know, with COVID outbreaks and trying to play basketball through a pandemic. Yeah. It is not easy whatsoever. But a player that's really performed well for the Wahoos in the last month or so is Jay Huff. And Jay Huff has some size. He's a seven-footer. He's been on the UVA for quite some time now. Yeah. Um, but The question I see in that matchup is who can really stop Jay Huff. Jay Huff is a guy who can go inside, but can also go outside. He's a pretty good shooter for his size. And he's done a marvelous job for helping Virginia and really find a true big man to diversify the ball down inside as well. This is a Virginia team as well that has scored 80 points in their last three games. And that's something that you haven't really seen much of Tony Bennett in the last few years of his coaching, but this is also a Virginia team that has held their opponents to 60 points or less in three of the last five games. So they're Mm. beating teams with significant margins and they've had the loss to San Francisco. That was a big time loss. They had that embarrassing loss in Fort Worth to Gonzaga, but ever since then they've really hit their stride and they're sitting at a conference play right now with an, excellent record I mean undefeated record looking at their schedule right now so it's eight wins in a row isn't it yeah it is it's really impressive what they've been able to do and you know they had the postponement against Virginia Tech due to a COVID-19 player but they bounced back with four more games they have a postponement against NC State they bounced back and went two more games and I think they haven't played a really tough part of their schedule yet Clemson was a little bit difficult because of the ranking but they've really looked like a a fraud in the last few weeks and this virginia tech game comes in with Louisville down the road i'm looking at uva too much but the thing (laughs) is is that jay huff and sam hauser have done a great job in conference play for virginia and those are the two guys you have to stop and for virginia tech i think it comes down to really the small things as well in that notre dame game why They shot five of 12 from the free throw line. When you take on the number eight of Virginia Cavaliers, I mean, ranked Cavaliers, you got to make your free throws. So that's going to be something that I bet Mike Young's going to look at the stat sheet this morning before practice and be like, yeah, that's something we're working on here today. So that is going to be a tough matchup to really stop Jay Huff. It's going to be a true test to see what the front court can do against Huff and Hauser, both very tall good shooters for UVA. And that's where I think the matchup goes in either Virginia or Virginia tech's favor. You know,
1: we talk about that eight point win streak for UVA. I'm starting to think, I'm really starting to convince myself that Virginia is due for a loss in ACC play. They are, they're, they're statistically <laughs> due, but you're right. You talk about that front court, Sam Hauser. He's, he's really impressed me all year. Just the way, the way he can shoot it. The Marquette transfer KiA Clark is another guy who's, who's been there for seven years. At least I've just seen him, be the, as the UVA point guard for as long as I can remember. But do we want to get into predictions for this game? I mean, we're both expecting a low scoring affair, obviously, but I think when you look at keys to this game, the free throw shooting has been an issue, I think of recent weeks. And that, that, those just can't happen. That's just going to be a frustrating if, if that ends up being, if it's a three, four point game at the end. And when we go, we have another like five for 13 free throw performance and we leave, we're leaving ports on points on the board. But I, I really think it's going to come down to the the three-point shooting of Virginia Tech. And I really think we need Couture, we need Cone, and we need Elaine hitting those open shots, hitting, getting that inside-out game working so, so that we can go through Aluma and we can go through Mutz and we can get to the line and hopefully make our free throws. But just we really need to control the pace of this game. And that's what UVA does so well. It's what they've done so well over the years. But yeah, no, I'm excited. I really think this is going to be a great game. It's the biggest game of the
0: year for Virginia Tech. It certainly is. And I thought that Virginia Tech's team last year wasn't that great. And if you remember that game at Castle Coliseum last year, they struggled offensively to get going. But yeah. then the second half, it's starting and the Hokies tempo picked up a bit and they got themselves in the game. If it wasn't for Kehe Clark, that game would have either gone to overtime or the Hokies would have been looking at an opportunity to win that game. So... Even then, when I thought UVA was a slight bit better than for the Hokies, Virginia Tech competed well against them. And I think Virginia Tech has done a great job in recent years going up against Virginia. Yeah. They've had some very close matchups. It's been a very exciting rivalry. And now that both teams are placed in the top 20, the, the nation's going to be tuned in. It's the same time as Kansas or Tennessee that are playing in that, you know, the big 12 SEC matchup on the East Pan. But I guarantee you college basketball fans will also be transitioning over the ACC network. I'm watching Virginia, Virginia tech, because yeah. you know, if you love defense, you're going to love this matchup. If you love teams that work together, you're going to love this matchup. And most importantly, it's going to be a big one on really Virginia tech season. And the reason I mentioned that why it is because with the loss of Tyrese Radford, there are going to be opportunities when they go down the court, don't score. And we say to ourselves, they would have scored with Radford yep. or there have been opportunities that they lose games by three or four points. And you said, What if we had Tyree Stratford? And that's the question we're all going to resort to in those Virginia Tech losses. But now the question is, is this team good enough to make the tournament without Tyree Stratford? And there are 20. They have a significant one against Villanova. If they're able to beat Virginia, we're looking at a team that could be mentioned in and being a top six, top five seed come the uh, NCAA tournament in March. So, this is a good one to really predicting the future. And if they compete well with Virginia, I still think that's a solid loss. But you know, it's it's that time coming. I mean, next week is February. So you start thinking to yourself, oh, here comes the bubble discussion. Make sure yeah. you get the wins now so that when that conversation arises around mid-February, if Virginia Tech's a lock, team that should be in work left to do, they gotta be in a good position and really making a case for themselves, especially in a season where the ACC isn't as strong as it has been in the past. Virginia didn't look great at the beginning, but now they're picking up their stride. Louisville had some struggle, but they're starting to win basketball games. Florida state was a little questionable, but they're getting comfortable. So we didn't really see true ACC in the first two months. We're starting to get a better resemblance of what this conference holds in the last few weeks. And have an opportunity to get to top ten team at Castle College. Team it doesn't get much better for those players for the Hokies.
1: You're right, man. And you talked about. I just don't. I agree with you. I don't think the uh, or well, I don't think the casual college basketball fan would enjoy watching this game. But if you like rivalries, if you like just grind it out defensive battles, I think this is going to be a perfect game for you. And I think it's going to be really exciting to watch. But um, I want to get into uh, a few predictions. I think. Said it many times, it's going to be a low scoring game. I think it's going to be 61 to 59. Tech pulls off the win. And here's another thing I think will happen they pull off the upset at home, but I also think Jalen Cohn busts out of his little shooting slump. He only had three points last night, didn't really produce against Syracuse. And I don't know, he's just too good to be contained for this long. And I just think he's gonna get he's gonna get some shots up early. I think Mike Young is gonna make it a point to get in the ball and get him get him shots going. So I'm really excited for Cone for Cone for Con against that UVA defense, but it's
0: points are gonna be hard to come by for sure. They certainly are wide. If I had a prediction really much in this game, I would say that the match will be decided by five points on either side. I, I definitely think this is a close one from the game to end you might have some for teams scoring the ball better than others. I can see Virginia Tech going on a run and really get things going, and Virginia starting to really creep up behind the Hokies. Um, tough one here. I, I get the honor to call for uh, 3204 sports this uh, Saturday with Evan. Let's Eaters. go. Uh, I just plug think it. That um, yeah, no, really, <laughs> got to plug in the podcast. Uh, I I disagree with your double prediction. But I, I'm going to agree with you on this one. I think Virginia Tech pulls it off. Uh, give me 64, 61. Hope Let's go. Game. I I just think that this is looking like when the team is facing adversity, can they pull off a win? If they're able to win this game, this just truly resonates on what Mike Young's been able to do in such a week. You have to go up to those players Monday and be like, I know we got Notre Dame, I know we got a big Virginia matchup, but trust me on this one. We're going to get through this, and if they do. I really think that Mike Young is making a case himself for ACC coach of the year.
1: You're right. And if they win this game, they would cement themselves in the tournament, almost all like for sure cement themselves, but you're right. This is the time of the year when um, the, the March Madness, the bracketology starts coming into play, but you know, we're excited for that this is why we love college basketball. So Andy, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I think we've covered everything. How about some, how about that? Some Thursday morning optimism. We got, we both predicted the Hokies to win this Saturday
0: oh, yeah, you know, we're coming off a great loss against Notre Dame. We're going to ride high into that matchup and really hope (laughs) for the best for them. Yeah. So
1: that'll do it for today's episode of the 3304 Sports Podcast, episode number 26. I'm Wyatt Krieger. Andy Losey, we are signing off. Thank you. All right, Andy.